Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, I'm Shasta Nelson, founder of GirlfriendCircles.com, and you are listening to Life Giver. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you're listening from the Life Giver app. And if you aren't, I hope you will download it because it's free and it's so much easier to listen from there. Um, We are in the middle of an awesome series called Family, where we're talking about how we can um, improve our communication with family members. And if you've been following the series, then you heard the last two episodes where I actually spoke directly to your external family members, hopefully smoothing over those conversations a little bit more. But today, to wrap up the series, I'm so excited to have a conversation with Matt's mom. We affectionately call her Kimmy, Miss Kim Weathers. And she just happens to be here at our house helping with our boys Um, I'm about to go to Fort Lewis and see some spouses out there, and um, Matt is out in the field with um, new chaplains, and so I just thought what a great opportunity in the middle of a a perfect series to have a conversation with Kimmy. So welcome to the podcast, Kimmy. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So I have to tell everybody, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that uh, Matt comes from a family of police officers. And um, his dad is a retired police officer. His dad's dad was a retired police officer. And so um, at least you have to correct me, Kimmy, if I'm wrong. But Matt always says that Dennis, his dad, told him that he could not become a police officer. Is that true? that's true. That's true. Had he known that he was going to be a soldier, he probably would have said, be a police officer. <laughs> okay. So Matt always shares that story that it's he true. he didn't he didn't get into the military because his dad said no. But um, in talking with a lot of police officer families, um, they tell me that that's pretty pretty normal for it to kind of pass down from generation to generation. And so yes. I'm not surprised that he went into the military. Well, I was actually surprised. I think you and I both were surprised that he went into yeah. the military. Yeah. Um, but this is a really special treat. I'm so excited to share Kimmy with all of you guys. I do call her Kimmy, and I call her Mimi, um, and I sometimes call her mom. Mm-hmm. And um, But my, I think to me, Kimmy is like probably the most affectionate name I think that I call you, at least to me it I is. I love it when you call me Kimmy. Okay, good, because I, I like do. to call you Kimmy. <laughs> Okay, so Matt and I have been married almost 19 years now, and um, and our relationship has just been through a lot with Matt being in and us being a military family, and I thought this is just a, such a wonderful treat to have this conversation with you because when I first started this podcast, it was really only for military families. I had no idea that um, things would take a turn, and I would really start embracing even more first responder families, and... If we're going to do a series talking about family, how we can communicate with family more, how we can create better understanding on both sides, I think you're perfect for this because you have been a first responder wife and you are now, you're, I think you're always maybe a first responder wife. You are. You are. <laughs> and you're also a service member's mom. And so you have both perspectives, which I think is amazing. So um, I guess to start off... I would love to ask you what were your thoughts initially when Matt or Matt and I first shared that he was going to become a chaplain. Um, you talking about in reserves or going? Oh, that's time? right. Yeah, we did first start in there. Well, what was your first thought with the reserves? I love that. I love that idea um, because I knew that he was not. He's not cut from the mold that he belongs in a church building, per Mm -hmm. se. That is not, he always thinks outside of the box. And so it gave him an opportunity to have a little bit of freedom outside the boundaries of a church. Um, However, I will say that I will never forget the day he called me and told me he was going to go full-time, active duty, military. Mm -hmm. And I said, Matthew, have you prayed about that? And he Mm -hmm. said, yes, ma'am. I said, you need to pray some more. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was shocked. I was shocked. And all I could think about was, you know, you guys, Aiden was a baby. Um, 
you know, Jack was just born, and um, all I could think about was you guys traveling away and really taking my grandchildren. Um, well, and there's a lot of, you guys are in Greenville. You've always been in Greenville. Right, yeah. And Dennis's father, his parents were always in Greenville. Nobody they were left. Greenville yeah. police officers. And right. so this, and I hear from a lot of families that external family members, they've grown up in the same place. And I think even for service members or their spouses to leave their hometown, it's quite a shock. But it's a shock to the family too. It is, it is. But you, we've learned to accept what we cannot change, and it's not an easy road to do that. Um, <clears throat> there have been lots of times where I thought, you know, if I was the type of person who played the lottery, I would play the lottery, I would win lots of money, and I would give them millions of dollars to move to Greenville <laughs> and be unhappy there because you would not be happy there. I know that. Well, I think about, like, all the places that we've bounced around already, and you, you've been several, you've followed us out to Colorado. Mm -hmm. You came to with us to one of our marriage retreats that was out in the way high mountains, and you were sick as a dog oh, yes, with I altitude sickness. Yes. Um, I mean, you have really hacked like as, as best as possible, like coming out to see us. Where we, I mean, even before we were in the military, when we were in graduate school out in Texas, I do mm. you remember we met halfway. Where was it? Missouri, in Jackson, Mississippi, Mississippi for, for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. We sure did. And like you brought like an entire Thanksgiving dinner, and we had Thanksgiving. In the hotel room. We did. I brought all awesome. my fine china and my silver and brought a meal and, and we enjoyed those days together. And, and, you know, then we always thought you'll get finished with college, you'll do whatever you're going to do, you'll come to Greenville or you'll go to North Carolina maybe or back to Georgia, but never did we think that you would be weathers of the world, mm -hmm. which you have become. And so what was that like for you, maybe the first couple? I mean, the first assignment was Colorado, so right. not close to South Carolina oh, yeah. at all. Um, that was very difficult until I visited you there the first time, and I, I saw how happy you were. Of course, the first time I visited you, Matt was already on his deployment, his first mm -hmm. deployment. So, um, and it was, that was different, mm -hmm. you know, going there and him not being there. Um, but I saw how happy you were and I saw how your community of sisters in your, on your mm -hmm. block, just you girls were so close and you did so many things together that it made it easier. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm not a big fan of flying. Everybody who knows me knows I do not like to fly. And, and my philosophy was if I'm going to go down in a plane crash, I'm going to Colorado to see the kids to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds bizarre, but I knew that um, that it was important for me to come out there, and I needed to see that you guys were okay mm -hmm. there. You know, I remember coming in, and because I'm the proverbial pick up and clean up and move mm -hmm. this, and there was a boot mm -hmm. in the hallway, one of Matt's boots. And I, I was thought, using it as a doorstop. Well, you actually mm -hmm. were tr killed a spider with oh, it. Oh, I did. Yes, I did. And then when I went to pick it up, you said, no, 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 that boot has been there since Matthew left, mm -hmm. and that boot will be there when he comes home. And so that's what I think about. When I think about that place, I think about that beautiful yard and Jackson running around in his bare feet in weather that could be snow. It didn't mm -hmm. really matter. I think about that boot being there, but I think about the community mm -hmm. and how much I loved seeing you all living on post, it's such a, I mean, if you're not living there and you're not having to get up and salute, and it's very romantic. It's mm -hmm. romantic to go to bed listening to taps mm -hmm. and to wake up to Reveille and see little, little children, three and four years old, stop at the mm -hmm. end of their day when they played whatever it is you play at five o'clock. I don't know what that is. I and, think it's retreat. And then I might get whatever slaughtered the kids were, they would if stop. If I said that wrong. They would stop and they would face wherever they remember the last flag to be, mm -hmm. and they would salute or put their hands over their heart. And I thought, what a blessed way for America for that to be the future of our country. So, so being there then made a difference. Oh, absolutely. I had to see you in your life. 
Mm-hmm. To, to be sure you were okay. Well, I remember this boot incident. Like this mm-hmm. was a, it was like a big moment for me too, the boot was. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have that reaction until mm-hmm. you moved it. Mm-hmm. And I've said, I've shared that with people a lot since then because it's interesting, especially during a deployment, that you don't realize the things that you attach to on a daily basis or the things that are part of your routine or, or, the things that somehow take on meaning. So, I mean, even though I use that boot to kill spiders, because I did, mm-hmm. it's a great spider killer. It is a great, <laughs> particularly since there's lots of black widows out there. Right. Um, but I used it as a doorstop because Jack was small and that garage door would swing shut so mm-hmm. hard. And so I used it as a doorstop when I needed to. And it just became the thing that was there all the time. Right. But it was Matt. It was it was it meant something. So I, I just figured I I guess I subconsciously said I will just keep it until but when as soon as you move it moved it, I remember. Oh, I remember too. And I'm and so it, sorry because I think no, that was a visceral you, no, response you to that. Because you didn't jump on me. Mm-hmm. It let me know that that you loved him and you were waiting for him to come home. Mm. That's what it let me know. So I was fine with that. Mm. You know, I remember you know, Dennis's father was a policeman and he used to come in. They had this big old-timey bed, and he would come in. He was a detective when I met him, so he wore a suit and all. But he would come in, and he would always take his pants off and hang them on the bedpost. And he would change into his clothes or whatever he was going to wear around this is the Papa, house. right? Papa, mm-hmm. yes. Matt's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And Dennis's, I told Dennis's mother, I said, does that not drive you crazy that he won't hang his pants up? She said, one day those pants won't hang there anymore, mm. and I will miss that. So I learned very early, I don't, I don't complain about the small stuff. Mm. Now, you know, if you have a big old snotty handkerchief, you got to do something. With it. <laughs> but if you're, but if you're gonna leave your, your socks or your shoes or your pants or whatever, mm. um, I'm okay with that. Side note, I remember this one spouse who had left, I guess her husband, the night before he deployed, had left out like an empty soda can and a granola bar wrapper. And it was the last thing that he ate before he Mm -hmm. left the next morning. And she didn't touch it for an entire year. I can can so see that. Like, I can see that. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that's on the realm of a snotty handkerchief, but um, it's just interesting. You know, Matt shares with a lot of people that when he came home... He touched, I guess, either a water bottle of mine or stationery or something and moved it. And apparently I flipped out over that, too, because that, I think, was just part of, like, that was my thing. That was my routine. I needed control of of whatever. And that's a whole other, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit trail on that. But I think what I'd like to ask you before we get into even more about what your experience has been with us being military um, is I would love to hear more about what it has been like for you to be a first responder wife um, you are, you know, Dennis is retired now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting that even in retirement, he continues to work and he works at a funeral home. And, um, and that sounds kind of grim to a lot of people, but it makes sense because he was, he was a first responder. He was around death a lot right. as a first responder. And, um, and he's very comfortable with that now. And now it feels, uh, he's, he has said to me, it feels like it's a, a gifting. It's a way for him to give back to grieving families because he can be around death. And it does not, it, I'm not saying it doesn't affect him because it does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, he certainly has seen the worst of death mm-hmm. in the physical sense. Um, he, has, he has been with many notifications for people. He did lots of accident reconstructions and you know, and testified to death in court. Um, so for him, you know, it's never easy when it's a child, but this is his ministry now. And there have been times where he actually has said, if I had known I would love this so much before I became a policeman, mm-hmm. I might have done this first. Really? Yes, because he know, but he knows everybody in Greenville, and mm-hmm. everybody in Greenville knows him. Everybody who knows him knows that he's a, a tender person when it comes to that. Now, if you make him mad, he's not always quite so tender, but <laughs> he he has heart for people mm-hmm. in their sorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's for him, it's as natural as anything he's ever done. Well, there's so many first responders that go into that line of service because they want to do good. Mm-hmm. They have that same heart. They want to... 
um, do something that makes a difference or something that has meaning or it's grounded in values of right and wrong and and there's people mm-hmm. that are and so they either are drawn to this is what they tell me at least they're either drawn to it because um, there are people that are doing something very wrong and I want to do something about that or I want to be part of what's right, right and making things right and serving with that heart I think that probably more than half of the part-time men they have there are either ex-police officers, ex-firemen, ex-highway patrolmen. Um, and I don't really know why they navigate uh, to that. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, to that. But it's a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. You know, they can see what you and I don't want to see. They can, um, they can somehow find the words to describe the undescribable to families and they can be there at times when everybody else wants to just be out of the room, mm-hmm. you know. So um, they they love it, and they love, in particular, my husband loves who he works for, and he thinks they are probably like the best, the most respectful, the most honorable men. So um, for him, it's been great. Mm-hmm. It really has. And so, do you? You guys got married young. Yes. Nineteen. I, I was 19, he was 24. Okay. And was he a police officer already when yes, you got he got married? Yes. Okay. He so was. take us back to when you guys first met and you knew he's a police officer. What did you think about him being a police officer? Okay. Um, I was working as a buyer in a department store, and I was probably at the time I met him 17, and he had just gone on the police department. And here he was, this red-headed, curly-haired, red-headed cop who reminded me of some Irish cop that I would have known up north. Um, we were best friends. We did everything together. He was engaged. I was dating somebody. He would take his fiance home, swing by my apartment, and we would go out and play tennis half the night. We ju- Or just, you know, go into apartment swimming pools and swim in their pools. We were just best friends, and then um, he worked in the, the department store security. They mm-hmm. All the securities were policemen, and so, um, and everybody kept saying, you know he's in love with you, you know he's in love with you. I was like, what? That, no, he's not. We are best friends, and he would, like, I was so broke. I think I made $75 a week, and my rent was 150 a month. And he would go by and pay my rent before it was even due. Mm. And I kept thinking, wow, this guy's got some money. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, he lived at home with his parents. He still had his rock collection under their bed. <laughs> and uh, he took all his money and spent it on me. But um, back then, which is 45 years ago now, um, first responders, no matter what it was, you got called out. You, there was no, like, I'm on vacation this week. I'm sorry the town's being devastated by tornadoes. If it started, they got called in. And it was the first, he and I had been out junk hunting, going through old houses that day, and there was, like, talk of uh, tornadoes coming through Greenville. And um, his dad was working, and we went back by his house, and his his mom said, your dad just came by here. Because back then there weren't all these fancy radios and walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. Everybody just did what they had to do to communicate. And uh, she said, Dennis's mother said, your dad's been by here. You need to put your uniform in and go on in. Everybody's been called in. And so I was like, you're certainly not going to leave me here with your mother <laughs> in a tornado. <laughs> and then I thought, here we are. We're going to die. In this tornado, because I—I mean, tornado to me was like Wizard of Oz kind of devastation, and I thought, um, if we're gonna die, I gotta die married. That was the one thing I hadn't done. I'd been on my own for a really long time, and I thought I gotta die married. So tornadoes came and went. Now I have to pause. We won't go into all this, but I have to. You were seventeen. 19. I was 17 at the time. At the time. But you had actually um, left home at 14. I did leave home. So when you say that you had been on your own for a while, yes, that might sound strange to somebody if you're 17, but you had been on your own since you were 14. Right. I was ready yeah. for family. Yeah. I was ready for 
a family and I knew how wonderful he was and I knew what a great dad he would be and I knew that he had anybody who had more money than me had was like oh my gosh you know <laughs> not that I was uh, a gold digger because he certainly didn't have gold in that sense anyway and so the next that was on a Sunday the next day we were walking we were gone to get his sister her high school graduation gift and we went into a really nice jewelry store to get a spoon ring that's when spoon rings so we were he was getting the spoon ring and I was walking around and I walked over and I looked at that ring and I said I love that ring he said do you want it I said yeah of course I do but I didn't think he would get it and he bought it right there on the spot he bought it and when we were walking out of the mall he said, well, are we engaged or just going steady? I said, let's just be engaged. <laughs> and it was not too long after that that we eloped. I turned 18 in August, and we were married. We married in June. I was 17. We married in June, and I turned 18 in August. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you're a police wife. Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of um, first responder spouses that listen and um, and you know what it was like to have chaotic schedules, to have um, extra jobs, mm -hmm. to make ends meet. Um, you know, Matt, to this day, so appreciates the, the work ethic that he was taught as a kid. And, and I see him instilling that into the boys, mm -hmm. too. And a lot of that is because... Um, you were taking extra jobs, and it was it was part of the family that you worked together. We did work together. Mm -hmm. We we did everything together. We we um, we earned money together. We uh, made our own fun together because he wasn't unbeknownst to me. He wasn't making much more than I was mm -hmm. at the time. <clears throat> so and and plus we had Jennifer nine months and eleven days after we were married. And so um, we did yard work together. If it was Saturday, it was yard work, and that's what we did. And we ate the same dinner every Saturday night because we'd worked in the yard all day. Um, and Dennis worked everywhere. He, you, mm -hmm. Every prom picture, every homecoming picture of Jennifer, she has gone to where her dad was working to have her picture made with him either at the ball field or at the Memorial Auditorium, or he could have been working just a regular ball game somewhere. So it was it was different, but it was the same as everybody around us. Mm -hmm. So we didn't feel terrible mm -hmm. about our circumstances. Well, and you were close to Dennis's family, who was also a police officer family. Right, right. Um, what was your feeling of, because a lot has changed in the culture, at least towards law enforcement, for mm -hmm. sure. Things have changed since then. Um, but looking back, what was your experience like with um, those that were not police officer families in the community? Everybody kind of knew each other there in Greenville. Right. Um, <clears throat> but did you feel like you and the other first responder wives had the level of support that you felt like you might have needed? Um, there were not... Uh, necessarily organizations for spouses and, and at that time all the all the police officers were male so we were all women and so I mean their idea of getting together was making Christmas ornaments there was no discussion of of um, somebody got shot or somebody shot somebody or something happened or somebody witnessed something awful or somebody was going through divorce because I will tell you that <clears throat> probably 65% of the police officers that came on at the same time we did that were young couples together are divorced mm -hmm. and, and remarried. So very few marriages survived the, uh, the, the crazy hours, um, the, the changes that your, you, that your spouse goes through. I mean, you might think that they are dealing really well with something, but then, um, yeah, I, I will never forget one time, it, it, Jennifer had been born, so we probably had been married a, like a year and a half, maybe two years, and somebody tried, to, was coming around the apartment complex where we lived and was trying to get in the doors, and so I called the police, 
you would have thought Dennis Weathers was on, I don't know, a jet. He got there so quick, and every other police officer got there so quick. And I saw a side of Dennis. They finally got the guy, and he really was just trying to sell magazines or something. But uh, you would have thought, Dennis thought he was trying to ravage his family. Mm -hmm. He was so mad, and he took that guy and put him up against that patrol car, and I thought, wow, I have never seen that side of you. Mm. What was that like for you to see that side? It was was scary, but then there was also a great... um, comfort in knowing that he could take care of me and -hmm. could take care of us and our situations you know um, there were lots of times when um, there were a lot of policemen who were stepping out on their wives lots of them lots of policemen were alcoholics several of his partners died from alcoholism so um, it was it was I don't know. I don't even know the word to use. It was sobering. That's the word it was. It was sobering on lots of different levels. But but there was also that my hero mm-hmm. mentality that I wasn't necessarily, well, I'm not necessarily now proud of it, but back then it went a long way towards me feeling like while I'm home, you know, 16, 18 hours a day by myself with this baby, and I don't drive, I don't have a car, because we can only afford one vehicle, that if something happened to me, he could get to me quickly. Mm -hmm. Because back in those days, if you worked in the city, you had to live in the city. You could not live outside the city limits. Mm. So, and everybody knew where everybody lived. So it was not unusual for other policemen to check on each each other's families. Mm-hmm. So, well now and you and Dennis have been married now for how many years? 45. It'll be 45 in June. 45 years. Okay. Yes. And when you say 65% or so mm-hmm. have divorced, um what was it about you and Dennis? How have you guys made it 45 years? Well, <clears throat> I would love to say that it was because his mother thought we wouldn't be married more than a year because I was from New York. <laughs> you, you were going to prove her wrong. <laughs> but I also, I mean, I came from a broken home. I came from a terribly broken home. And uh, there, there was no way I was going to give up. There was no way. And he loved me that much that he let me grow up, which I had to do, you know. Grow up in what way? Um grow up into because I hear that as grow up as you know a wife and a mother but also um, accepting this lifestyle and accepting the lifestyle and also um, accepting the things about my life before him and before I came to South Carolina that were so awful that I that in times over my life and over the 45 years that we've been married, there have been times when I have come to the realization that I think that because of that. Because of something back of in something, your childhood? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so he gave me uh, patience and grace, you know. And, uh, and yeah, that's what it was. He And I, I have seen, I think you've also done a great job of giving patience and grace yourself. You have to if you love somebody. Mm-hmm. You have to, and you have to, um, you have to, you can't always really step in their shoes. Mm-hmm. It's just like even with you going to Afghanistan, you saw as much as you could see, mm-hmm. and you felt as much as you could feel, but I've never done the things that Dennis has done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew him well enough um, to know that you, you, you have to know when it's time to just kind of step back and take a breather and not demand so much and let them process maybe even what they've seen in the last 24 hours or, in your case, over a year period. What would you say to some of these younger first responder spouses um, who are in the throes of that chaotic schedule, um, 
holding down the home front and the kids and meals and trying to make everything, I don't want to say perfect, but you know, you try to make home. In fact, I was, I was talking with a couple today and just the stress of trying, it was a first responder couple and just the stress of trying to be in control and provide everything you can possibly provide for your kids and, and make it this great home environment because of the chaotic schedule, because of you know, dad's on a crazy shift and we right. kids haven't seen him in four days and I don't know when he's coming back, but he's here. You're just missing him, right? <clears throat> so what would you say to some of these younger first responder spouses who are in the throes of that, who, um, who might even be struggling with their marriage? The f- and this is going to sound crazy. The first thing I would do, it would be to tell them to turn the television off. Why? And not watch all the uh, pretend cop shows and not all the pretend um you know firemen shows because it it does it does um it doesn't do those men justice and it doesn't do the women any good to be sitting and being um bombarded with with so much trash there's so mm-hmm. much and so much of that is not true and and when when women get together if they, if you, you cannot make your home perfect. There is no perfect home. Billy Graham didn't have mm-hmm. a perfect home. But you have to be selfless and you have to sometimes say, you know what? I know I really need a haircut, but the kids really need shoes and we don't have a lot of money. And, and so I will figure that out. And back when we were coming up, we did for each other what we couldn't afford to get other people to do. We would get together and if our husbands were working third shift and three or four of us wanted to get together and have our kids spend the night at one person's house, we did that. Mm -hmm. And there was no expectation that we were going to go and rent movies from Redbox and and we were not going to order pizza because we didn't have the money, but we would get together and pool our resources Mm -hmm. um, to, to... to bring each other to a point where we felt we were safe within our community. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't, I had lots of friends who did not understand why we did not take great vacations and we did not do that. For us, we were fine, mm-hmm. you know. Not taking those vacations. We didn't, well, it, it wasn't, we, it wasn't something that we expected. Mm-hmm. So if something did come along, well, that was gravy. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember just wanting to take the kids for a ride into the mountains. Um, we would go see a friend of ours who was a car dealer who would lend us a decent car for the day so we knew we could drive our kids to the mountains and get back home in a car that wasn't going to break down. So that's the way it was. So what else would you say? Turn the TV off. Um, it's You can't have a perfect home. So maybe lower that standard just a little bit. Yes, I would say to... Um, Maybe to not expect so much from your spouse or expect so much from yourself. It's okay Mm -hmm. to feel um, lonesome because you're going to be lonesome, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But but then you look around and you look at people in the in the what we would call the real world, (laughs) you know, they're lonesome. Their Mm -hmm. their husbands are on business trips or their husbands are, you know, so. and and you can't always meet them at the door wrapped in saran wrap, <laughs> which was some crazy book that came out during some time we were married, which we didn't even, I mean, we weren't going to waste the saran wrap, <laughs> you know. But <clears throat> try not to, don't expect perfection right away. It comes. It comes in all the seasons. You know that. Mm. You know, so if you if you don't um, and don't be too good and too proud to not say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That was the wrong Mm. thing. I said the wrong thing. We never, ever went to work with him as a policeman that we were mad at each other. Never. And I don't care how rip roaring mad I was. I didn't let him think I was mad when he went to work. Now I'll do it now. (laughs) but I didn't do it then you know because because we all I mean 
we all know what you face mm -hmm. when you're in that line of work, particularly today. I don't think I could be married to a first responder today. It's, I don't think I'm strong enough. I think you're strong enough for well, sure. I don't know. Um, that New York side of you comes out. It does, okay, it does occasionally. Or yeah. the Greek side. Either way. It's, it's the Greek New Yorker <laughs> that comes out, right? Um, what about, before I transition us just a little bit, what about um, maybe to a couple who is struggling with um, maybe some trauma or some traumatic things that he, I'm going to use stereotypical he, has experienced? What would you say to that wife or to that couple um, if that first responder is struggling with some of, whether it's death or trauma or something um, that he is wrestling with it and having a difficult time? For us, later on into our first responders' years, it would have been faith. It was our faith. And it was the ability that we knew that we could find somebody that we could talk to, that we were not the only ones in that circumstance, mm -hmm. that everybody we knew at some point in time had some kind of stressor mm -hmm. that made them think, I don't think I can do this another day. I don't think I can stay with you another day. I can't, you know, go to bed. And you walk out the door with your, you know, your gun and your badge and your uniform or whatever and wait to be sure that you come home tomorrow. You you just, you, there's so, many more, so much more is able to be discussed now than it was then. Back then, that was a sign of weakness, mm -hmm. and, and you didn't show that. You, you know, if you were afraid as a policeman to run into a building, you, were, you didn't need to be a policeman. Well, I know one stigma that is still around is that for a lot of first, at least I'm hearing, a lot of first responders, um, if they are having especially extreme thoughts of hurting themselves or killing mm -hmm. themselves, something like that, um, they can't, they feel like they can't share that because that is a sign of weakness right. and their weapons will be taken from them and, and potentially their job too. You're right. And, and there's, and there's also that, that, um, that partner who doesn't want to be with you because they're not sure you can cover their back. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Dennis was telling me a month ago about <clears throat> this incident that they went through, um, and there were like four policemen, and three of them went running into the house, and one of the policemen stood by the patrol car at the curb, and he was frozen. He couldn't go in. He just couldn't, you know. And Dennis said, well, they apprehended that person, and they brought him out, and they put him in the patrol car, and Dennis looked at that other policeman, and he said, you don't need to be here. You're going to get me killed, or you're going to get yourself killed. Which is healthy. It is healthy, but... But that, but. but that young man, there wasn't, there was mm -hmm. no place to turn to. Mm -hmm. There were no uh, police chaplains like there are now. There was no counseling offered like there is now. You either made the grade, or you went to work driving a truck. Mm -hmm. You know. So um, I would say that today, I'm I'm very thankful that there are so many different avenues for. Uh, police officers and firemen and even soldiers to go through if they'll allow themselves to go through it. But that is very few and far between. Mm -hmm. So since this series is talking about external family members and, and how do we um, create better understanding, kind of going back to, I know I've shared even during this series, um, the story of Matt coming home, I think it was for R&R, &R, maybe. It was his first R&R. Um, for that first deployment. It's also written in the book. He really was different. And you and I both, I think simultaneously in this one moment, realized how different actually things were. Right. And we are grateful in that Matt um, did experience a lot of death as a chaplain during that deployment. Um not necessarily combat and not necessarily full-blown PTSD, but he did come home extremely exhausted with what I would call compassion fatigue, combat fatigue. Um, and he was so exhausted, and I think that I shared in a previous episode of this series that I, I think that he was just felt pulled from every direction and was exhausted mm -hmm. at the same time. That um, I think he had only, we had just gotten home from the airport maybe within the last hour or two or something and you were anxious to talk to him and he picked up the phone and just let it all out on you. Well, the first, the first thing he did was actually y'all were in the, 
car going home or something. And I was like, I don't really need to talk to you. I just want to know that you got there and that you're safe. And so then you guys went off for a couple of days and got a cabin or something. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. And that's when that incident took place. And I hadn't heard from him since he'd been home. And I thought, you know, I, I thought, I am your mom and we're your parents. Can you not call us and let us know you're... Okay, and I should have known by him not calling that he wasn't okay. So that when I finally did get him on the phone, he let me have it. And I was sitting there. I was sitting there. I heard him. Um, He just, and it wasn't that he was, I mean, he was saying a lot of things towards you. You know, and we can talk about this, and and Matt's fully okay with us talking about this. Um, Because you guys have gone on to heal your relationship, Mm -hmm. and, and it's in a really great place now. But in that one specific moment, the way that I was hearing it, because I was having all of this anxiety because I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I should just grab the phone and say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I'm sure you would have liked for me to have done that. Um, or if I just needed to let it stay between you and mm-hmm. him, which I thought was maybe the respectful thing to do. And so when we're talking about how do we deal with the dynamics of of family and external family members, especially like in this situation where mm. this is your son, mm. right? Like I could have gotten involved. I could have gotten in the middle and stopped it, right. you know, but at some point that's still you and your son that have to work through something and, too. And to me what it felt like was, this is not my son. Mm. I do not know who this person is, but not not that this is not my son. That I should not say that. I felt like, oh my gosh, what has happened? Mm-hmm. And will he ever be the same? Will I ever be able to not to unhear all these awful things that he's saying? Because I knew I had not done anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like the, you know, class mom for his troop. I, I, I probably sent, I think I sent 175 packages from people and stuff. And I kept thinking, where is this coming from? What did I, you know, and then I realized... After he just kept going on and on, I said, I, I'm going to have to hang up now, mm-hmm. you know. And he just was still going, and I just hung up. And the hardest thing for him, because we didn't talk again till he left, till after he left and went back to Afghanistan. And I'm not proud of that. I probably should have called, but I was afraid to call because I thought, I can't, I can't handle more of this. And if he's at that kind of a breaking point. I don't need to be the, mm-hmm. you know. We were Dennis and I were actually walking, and he was probably back in Afghanistan for two or three weeks. We were walking around Lowe's, and the phone rang, and it was Matthew. And he said, please don't hang up. And I thought, well, I would never hang up. Well, mm-hmm. I did hang up, but I would, in this circumstance, mm-hmm. um, it was very hard to hear that. And I can imagine how many wives or other people. I mean, in a way, I'm sort of glad it was me instead of you because you already had your your stuff from deployment. Mm-hmm. You already had your baggage that you needed to categorize and you needed to figure out where you still fit in and, and what you could do. Would your mm-hmm. life ever be the same again? So I'm kind of glad it was me instead of you. Or even the boys, because I'm sure that there are soldiers who come home and their whole family just catches it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, God graced me when he gave me the ability to just forget that. I, I, if you ask me specifically anything he said, I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. now, because mm-hmm. I don't remember. I remember the conversation as being hurtful, but I don't remember any specifics. And I don't ever want to. Mm-hmm. What did you notice, if any, um, changes in us as a family once we joined the military? Um, you you definitely became more, is the word inclusive? Mm-hmm. Where the four of you were the team. Mm-hmm. You, you, because it's, you are the team. You are the one who goes from place to place to place. We all step in at different points in your life and support you where we can. But when it comes right down to it, it's the four of you. Mm-hmm. And that's where the rubber meets the road is 
you know. What has that been like for you as a grandparent and as a mom? Um, we, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Now, for, as far as the boys, I have not realized just how much I've missed until I had Jennifer's two there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've thought, what would it be like for Jack and Aiden to just come bouncing through that door spontaneously any time of the day? You know, that's hard. Mm-hmm. And and I think about it sometimes when I think about maybe you guys going overseas mm-hmm. that I try that I don't really want to think about. We'll take you with us. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I'll really have to start drinking then. <laughs> You're going to get me on a plane over the ocean. Um, But, you know, I've learned. Here's what I love. I love seeing what you do. You know, I love seeing what he does. And I love seeing the chaplain that he is and the husband that he is. He, I don't know of a man more in love with his wife than he is with you. I, I do not know. And I've known lots of people. Um, I've learned, I've watched him grow as a dad. I've watched him learn patience. So, um, yeah, I just wish we were closer. I wish we had a more day-to-day-to-day-to-day relationship where, you know, I could swing by and take Aiden to his orthodontist visit any day Mm -hmm. or take him to get ice cream just because, you know. Well, I know, I... I long for that as well. You know, I, there's so, there's, you know, we were in Virginia where the, you know, it was very challenging and I mean, Matt loved his job there, but, um, the support was different. And so there are so many days that I think it's tempting for any military family for sure to be like, I just wish that I was down the street from my family again, to have that ease, to have that guaranteed safe person for my kids, to not have to meet somebody else new, to, right. Um, how exhausting that really is and how grateful that makes me of you, you know, that we're in a, a great opportunity right now where you're an hour and a half up the road. Right. What a blessing, you know, taking advantage of that as much as possible. Um, I have a lot of families, the reason that this whole was, this whole episode was triggered, that um, do have service members who really did come home different, um, that really do struggle with, um, triggers, um, whether it's triggers to feel um, anxiety um, mm-hmm. or um, hypervigilance, which is also in first responders as well, just from the daily hypervigilance all the time, you know, not feeling like they do understand or know what their deployment was really like and, and feeling like my son is different. Um, he's been through some terrible things and I want to know what those things are because it's my child, mm-hmm. you know, and walking on eggshells, just like, I don't know what to ask and how much to ask and, and whether or not he or she might get triggered from me asking. And so what would you encourage them on, on how to keep the relationship really smooth and communicate if they, let's say you as a mom are coming to visit that service family. Right. Um, I think the first thing that you need to do is be observant when you come into the family and into the situation and um, you'll, if you have any kind of um, intuition or any kind of feeling about your children, you almost know automatically when something's wrong. And you can say, like even with Matt, I can say the smallest thing and how he responds to it lets me know how he feels about that. You know, he, you, you, like you could say, oh my gosh, I have an ingrown toenail. And he would say, well, I got a soldier who has no toes. And, and that's where he's coming from. And so you, you, you have to, I mean, you don't want to have to be on your toes all the time, but you do need to take a step back and not, because there's lots of times I want to say something, but I know that that's not necessary that it will it will work itself out mm. you know um, and I if you come in to your uh, son's home just for instance and you see because Matt is like a he is a bouncer around or doer do he is not a gonna 
sit there. I mean, he might sit there and tell you a story, and then he might get up and do ten different things and come back and finish telling you <laughs> that story. So when he comes back, let him come back to you. Don't you cannot force him or chase them? No, you cannot do that. You you just can't. I mean, even if you think, oh well, I'm his mother and and I know what's best. You don't. You because you were not. You're like I am the mother of a soldier, but I did not mother him through mm. the time when he was a soldier. So you have to learn what that difference is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've done such an amazing job of being a mom and giving me the room to be a wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a a beautiful dynamic um, of times when you have, and you saying that is, I I look back and I feel like that that's exactly what you've done. Like you, to be able to be a mom where you can be a mom and making those care packages the way that you did or do, you Mm know, um, you make the best care packages ever, (laughs) like ever for it. It doesn't even have to be a deployment, you know? Mm -hmm. Because you're just so thoughtful. Um, But where you could be a mom, you were mom. Mm -hmm. But where there was moments where it was for me to be a wife, there was room for me to be a wife. I didn't, I never had a problem with that. Mm -hmm. I've never been jealous of your relationship with Matthew. I have always felt that was an incredible blessing. And you are the the daughter-in-law that I prayed for for him all his life. But I've never, I, I have never seen him so in love with anything. It, Jesus, maybe, mm-hmm. but um, it's not. It is not hard to me for me to defer to you, mm-hmm. because I have not been with him through all of this. Now I've been through everything up until he was eighteen years old, mm-hmm. and maybe twenty-two, close to twenty-two years old. Mm-hmm. I, that's not my place. Mm-hmm. I don't even want that. I love that you are able to do that. I love that you can rise to the occasion to do that. So I'm not. It's not necessary for me to step in and take your your uh, joy. Well, one of the things that I said in a previous session is that suggesting, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, is suggesting that let's say if it is parents coming in for a visit, to really not only watch the dynamics of what's happening with that service member mm-hmm. or that first responder, but watching the dynamics of the spouse. Mm-hmm. And not in every case, but especially if if the family's healthy, to follow the lead of the spouse. Because the spouse, in, fa- in fact, one of the spouses said to me, she said, you know, if a family visit is going on, and let's say he gets triggered, and let's say he does lose his temper. Mm-hmm. She, I love the way she worded this, but she said, that may be what feels shocking to you might be just a normal blip for us. Right. Like that's not the most shocking we've right. experienced. Right. You know, and so being able to, um, and so you might see that the spouse is not necessarily shocked by what just happened, you know, but by, by being able to follow her lead a little bit on what to take super seriously and what to just kind of mm-hmm. coast through, I guess. Right. Um, but I, I imagine that that's also got to be so hard as a mom. It, it It is not if that person, if you trust that person's instincts enough, um, because I also know that you don't have any problem saying, okay, Matt, that's mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. I know you're not afraid to say that. I don't have to say it. You'll say mm-hmm. it. And you know how that pertains to the context of your family, how he can... Um, can and should be around you and around your children. I don't have. I have no doubt that you will. You will take care of what needs to be taken care of. You don't need me to do that. I don't even want to do that. Mm-hmm. I just want to come in and buy ice cream and <laughs> and and do those fun. You know, I do. I just mm-hmm. want to come in and make everybody fat and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it has been hard watching the changes that Matthew has gone through. He is not the person I thought he would be all growing up. He is different. In what way? He, um, he is he's he's less concerned with all the frivolous things. All those mm-hmm. things on the outside don't matter. What matters mostly to him is his relationship with God, his relationship with you, his relationship with his soldiers. You and the boys, mm-hmm. and and we're there. I'm not saying we don't fit into that dynamic, but 
he has got his priorities where they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, do I hate that I don't hear from him all the time? Yes, I do. But I also understand. Mm -hmm. So I would never call him and say, why didn't you call me? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I also realize that I don't know what he's been going through when mm -hmm. I haven't been here. So if you're just dropping in and you're just coming for a week out of 52 weeks, how do you know? given the, the, the dynamics of soldiers taking their own lives and soldiers' families members taking their own lives. You don't know. What, I mean, they don't have to be at war mm -hmm. to have a battle. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I'm, not, I'm not privy to all that. Thank God. Mm -hmm. So I guess to wrap up our time together, because it's been so sweet, um... I'm so, I'm so thankful um, that Matt and I have not experienced a lot of what a lot of families have to go through. But um, what I feel like we have seen, what we have experienced is the growth that can happen in our relationship, the growth that can happen in our walk with God, the growth that can happen in our calling, um, just in general, what can happen when we bring purpose out of difficulty. Um, and it's a painful lesson in life to learn you know that difficulty is is around every corner sometimes, and it's 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 just going to happen in life. Um, and you know when you're young, you just anticipate you know not having much difficulty at all, and then life happens, mm -hmm. and then you become a serving family, and then mm -hmm. you realize this is really challenging. This is really hard, and this is you know you end up adopting a lot of things that you didn't anticipate adopting, and difficulty you didn't anticipate adopting, and. Um, but one thing I look back and I, I see that it's always been a passion of ours to bring purpose out of it. Like we can't stay stuck there, mm -hmm. you know. And when I look back um, to some of the more difficult moments that Matt was wrestling with, what he was wrestling with, um, and I put on a good mask, honestly, for a little while there. And I, and I looked like I had it all together, but I really didn't. Mm -hmm. I really I struggled in a quiet way, but it was still equally destructive. It wasn't loud, but it was quiet and withdrawn and destructive, and I had to own my part in that too. Um, but I think that we at least have tried to, I've definitely seen in Matt, like you said, him being present with the boys, and that's one of the things I do love about what has shaped and changed in him. Like I, I feel like he is so much about life and living it and in the moment and relationships mm -hmm. and if you're in front of him you matter in that moment like mm -hmm. that's what matters the most he's out in the field right now with some chaplains inspiring them and teaching them and he is full into that moment and then when he gets home he'll be full in that moment with the boys and visiting with you mm -hmm. and when I get home from my trip he's going to be fully present with me and I I feel like his experience of difficulty, especially during the deployment, and the ways that it changed him, it took a little while, right, to iron that out. Mm -hmm. But I feel like um, that's something that is part of us that we wouldn't have known otherwise. And I look at you and Dennis as a first responder couple, and I see who you guys are and how you shape your community, how you shape, um, how you serve your friends and your church and your family and um, I mean, you have a good friend that's been going through some difficult things and you have walked through every step with her. And, and I have to think that this service lifestyle shaped a lot of that. Like you just take care of each other. That's the calling of a service lifestyle is you just take care of people. There is grace in suffering. Mm -hmm. There is, there is always grace in suffering. It is not always pretty, but it's always grace. And what is grace to you? We'll wrap up with that. Um, for me, grace is God loving me despite all my shortcomings. It is giving me things, other people, even people, giving me things that I don't necessarily deserve. Um... I thrive on serving people. I, that is my, my everything. It is. Um, and I've been, I've been gifted with the ability to do the things that I know how to do. 
Now, I can't find my way in this subdivision to save my soul. I cannot. <laughs> I am. But, um, but when I'm here, the boys laugh with me about my memory loss. They laugh with me about my directionally challenged. And it's all, it's all good. Mm-hmm. It's all good. But God, I'm so grateful that he didn't give me what I deserve. Thank you so much for so spending welcome. time with I hope me. That I've helped in some small way. So good. So sweet. You have so much wisdom to offer. You're such a great mom. You're such a great Mimi. Um, it's just it's I fun love. to have you here. Thank and you. Thank you for serving our family so that we can go and do our calling, even this week. Um, it's a huge blessing to us, and it's a sweet thing that our boys get to spend time with their Mimi and not be so far away. Just don't wave them when you get back home. Ha <laughs> ha